Welcome to Hooked on Science, a podcast where we learn about cool research that you should know about. I'm your host, Julia Cubans, and today I'm joined by Karen Conkley, who is a graduate student in the Department of Psychology at Northwestern University. So Karen, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your research on lucid dreaming. Hi, I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah, so I think right off the bat, what is lucid dreaming as opposed to regular yeah. dreaming? Right. Okay. So lucid dreaming, the most basic definition is just you're aware that you're dreaming while you're still asleep. So as compared to like a vivid dream or something where you're in the dream and then you wake up and you realize that you're dreaming in a lucid dream, you're still in the dream. It kind of feels like you're awake and all of a sudden you have this moment of realization. Oftentimes that's how it happens where you're like, whoa, this is a dream and I'm still in it. So then you can sometimes control your dream and do other cool stuff. So lucid dreaming seems like a really niche field. And so how did you first get interested in psychology in general and then lucid dreaming specifically? Or maybe it was the other way around for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, ever since I was little, I was always interested in like dimensions and like what's the world made out of? What is consciousness? I, and I loved sleep and dreaming. I was having a dream journal. And then you know, I never really knew what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I had a lot of different career options, but none of them I really wanted to do. And then when I was a freshman in college, I was in this seminar and they read, we had to read a paper about the narrative structure of lucid dreaming. It was for a storytelling class. And it was about how like your conscious mind is reading the dream and your subconscious is writing it. But for me, the takeaway was like, somebody wrote an academic paper about lucid dreaming. Like, this is a job. I had no idea. And so then after that, I was like, I'm going to try to do this. And so that kind of led me to declare a psychology major. And, and then for a while, it was hard. You know, there wasn't a lot of, there's not a lot of programs where you can study lucid dreaming. But I think it's becoming um, more more prevalent in the field and sleep research and stuff. But for a while, I was applying to grad school and there weren't very many places where I would be able to study this. But luckily, I found Northwestern where I could. Yeah, I imagine that would be the kind of thing where if you're looking up, you know, scholarly research, academic papers, there's only a couple people that you can get in contact with and learn yeah. from, learn with. Yeah. Yeah, especially at the beginning, I didn't really know how to go about it. And I kept Googling dream and a lot of stuff comes up that doesn't have anything to do with dream research. <laughs> so I know that, well, obviously the brain is a pretty crazy thing and there's so much stuff we don't know about it. And, you know, that's a broad generalization. But do you, researchers know why we dream in general or is that still kind of a mystery? Yeah, that's kind of one reason why lucid dreaming research is really useful because we don't really know why we dream. There's a bunch of different hypotheses and n none of them are really widely agreed upon. Um, you know, there's one hypothesis that it's just completely unrelated to any function. It's just random activation. Um, although I personally think that like if your brain is interpreting something random, it doesn't mean that it's not meaningful. It's like taking a Rorschach test or something. It can still be meaningful. But anyway, there's other hypotheses that it, it's helping integrate your old memories with your new memories. So it's reflecting some kind of information integration. Um, there's other hypotheses that it's helping you dissociate your strong emotions from those memories. And so there's a lot of different ideas. And I'm hoping that lucid dreaming can help 
be a, an experimental paradigm that can shed some light on some of those ideas. So it sounds like there are a lot of different ideas floating around about dreaming, but I have heard that dreaming happens in REM sleep. Is that when lucid dreaming happens too, or does that happen at other points? So I'm making some broad strokes here. Okay. Dreaming happens in all stages of sleep, but the kind of most vivid, narrative, bizarre dreams tend to happen more in REM sleep. And also lucid dreaming happens the most in REM sleep. So we focused on dreams that were in REM sleep. The state of REM sleep in general is a little bit less well understood than non-REM sleep um, in the memory consolidation field. So that was another reason why we're interested in it. And so in your experience, have you noticed that any like groups of people are better at lucid dreaming or learning to lucid dream than others at all? Or is it just a random thing with training? There's personality characteristics that have been associated with it. I don't have them all memorized. I think one of them is like boundary thinness. Um, another <laughs> one is like, you know, I think more frequent lucid dreamers are more creative. It's a little bit unknown to what extent, you know, those characteristics might cause somebody to seek out lucid dreaming versus lucid dreaming might feed into those characteristics. I heard yesterday that uh, people with a very sensitive vestibular system might be better at lucid dreaming. So if you're like me and don't know what the vestibular system is, it is part of your sensory system that has to do with your sense of balance and spatial orientation and position. So there's different different things that are related to it that might help. There is one study that's kind of interesting of people who have extremely frequent lucid dreams. They have them all the time. And if mm -hmm. you look at their brain when they're awake, there's a little bit more crosstalk between the very front of your brain and the kind of spatial region in the back um, and some other regions. And so people who have really, really frequent lucid dreams, those areas might be talking to each other more even when you're awake. So it's not completely clear what that means and stuff like that, but um, kind of interesting. Can you lucid dream? Yeah, I, that's how I got interested in the topic. I'm not like a natural lucid dreamer, but it's a skill that you can get better at over time. And so if you like cultivate it intentionally, you can explore your psyche, which is really fun. That does sound like a lot of fun. Um, but let's segue into the research part of things. So the purpose of your research was to expose people to a specific stimulus while they were in REM sleep, and then try to ask them a question and have them answer it. What was the purpose of this? The reason we're so interested in two-way communication is because so much of dream research, basically all of it is kind of constrained by what you can learn about the dream after somebody wakes up. And there's some issues with that. So one of them is that you're in a completely different state. So like you're going from being in REM sleep, usually to being awake, and that change in state can cause you to forget things. And then there's also the time delay, right? So like, you have a time that passes between when the dream happens and when you wake up. And all of these things make it a little bit tricky to say, how reliable are the, the dream reports that we get after people wake up, right? Like, how much can we trust those in terms of learning stuff about dreams? And there's some things you can do to try to get them to be more reliable. You can wake people up, you know, at a specific point and ask them to tell you right away the very last five seconds of something that was on their mind. But we kind of thought it would be even better if we could get some objective measure of what's actually going on in the dream in real time. And that could be a new way of looking at dream content that hasn't been used before. So before we get into the logistics and the details of your project, let's take a quick break. 
happy Wednesday, everyone. By the time you hear this, it will probably be Thursday because it's already Wednesday night when I am editing this. Uh, but regardless, I hope that you are learning something about lucid dreaming. I had never really thought about lucid dreaming before, <laughs> if I'm being honest. And I saw an article about Karen's research online and I said, gotta learn more about that. And so I sent her an email out of the blue and she thankfully responded and we had this wonderful conversation. If you are just here for Karen's episode, if you also got caught by the lucid dreaming title, I hope that you'll stick around and listen to some other episodes. We've learned about some really cool things, social sciences, hard sciences, health sciences, lots of the sciences. Uh, so there should be something for just about everyone in the episodes that have already been released. So check those out, and if you have any questions about any of them or about this episode, you can submit them to me and I will try to get those answered. You can do that. I have a new link for you if you've been listening the past bunch of episodes that I think will make it a little bit easier, streamline things. So if you go to l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash hooked on science, it'll bring you to a menu and you can click on submit your questions. And also on that landing page, you can submit a topic idea, a guess that you think would be cool, and just find out where to listen in general, but you're already listening, so I think you probably have that down. Other ways you can support the show other than just listening is by telling a friend. I love it if you tell a friend, especially as people are getting vaccinated a little bit more, having some more social gatherings. Tell them about that cool science podcast that you listen to. You can also rate the show on Apple Podcasts specifically, but wherever you're listening, if they have a rating system. And you can also subscribe to the show. This will keep any new episodes on your podcast app. And uh, so on that vein of things, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, Instagram and Facebook, the handle is at Hooked on Science Pod. And on Twitter, it's at Hooked on Science. I try to post at least once a week on those sites. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit more sporadic than that, but I'll post when there's a new episode. I'll post any kind of follow-ups to the episode. So we haven't talked about it yet, but Karen's Lab is developing an app for you to become a better lucid dreamer. So if you have an Android phone, I will post a link to that, um, where to download it. And uh, you can you can brush up on your lucid dreaming skills or just start them out if you haven't started already. And there's also some cool figures from the paper that Karen published, she and her, her colleagues published, that I will probably cut and paste and, and post because they illustrate what happened in the study in a really nice, concise way. And I think it's just interesting to see it in a graphical figure format. One thing to be on the lookout for is a podcast episode featuring yours truly. So I went on Dustin's podcast, who was on the Chronotype and Depression episode, and he and his co-host Kate and I chatted about science communication, about grad school, about a bunch of other random things like multi-level marketing schemes, March Madness, <laughs> Animal Crossing, it went everywhere. Uh, but you can check that out on You Can Grad School. I believe it will be up on, let me pull up my calendar really quickly here. I believe that will be up next Monday, so that's May 17th, 2021. So if you want to listen to me talk a whole lot more, you can find it there. 
And I will remind you in the future, just in case you uh, missed hearing from me. I don't really have any other information, but I will remind everyone, as I often do, that Hooked on Science is a part of my dissertation, and I am doing it to see if podcasting is a viable science communication method, and I'm doing it through this experiential part where I'm making my own podcast, and then I'm going to do a survey part to actually evaluate podcasts as a science communication method. And so that should be really fun. I think that survey will be out in maybe the end of June, mid to end of June. Fingers crossed, so I will also remind you about that when the time comes. And with that, I hope you enjoy the second half of the episode where Karen and I dive more into what her research like actually was and how the experiment went. Enjoy it, and I will talk to you again soon. Walk me through, like, from the person coming in to you know, you collecting, trying to collect data during lucid dreaming, how, what was that process? Yeah, so the participants will come in really early in the morning, let's say, try to wake up like two hours earlier than you normally would, and then they might come in at 7 a.m. or 6.30, and then we'll wire them up with electrodes, and if they haven't participated before, then we'll kind of explain okay, here's the definition of lucid dreaming, and here's how you're going to talk to us in your dreams. If you become lucid, you're going to look left, right, left, right, and we'll kind of have them practice those eye movements. And then we'll say, okay, if you you might hear a math problem while you're sleeping. If you hear it, just answer by looking left, right once for each number in your response. And we try to talk about lucid dreaming while we're wiring them up. It takes like 45 minutes. And oh then, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, try to talk about their recent dreams, keep it, try to keep it dreaming. And then they'll lie down in the nap chamber and practice doing like five math problems just to make sure that they know what they're doing. And then we'll do the lucid training before sleep. So that takes about 20 minutes where we'll play our sound that in the study sounded like this, boop, 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 and then give them the training. So as you notice the cue, you become lucid. And then after a while, we stop instructing them and just say, okay, now you're going to hear this cue. Every time you hear it, just get into this mental state. And ideally... As that happens, they're falling asleep. So as you fall asleep, you have these little dreamlets. And so ideally, you'll you'll be in this like kind of falling asleep dream, and then you'll hear a sound and be like, oh yeah, this is a dream. And so ideally, okay. as you're doing the training, you can even practice becoming lucid in your in your beginning of the nap dreams. And then I hang out in the uh, room next door and watch their brain waves. At the end of the nap, they'll have some REM sleep. And so once I see their first rapid eye movement, and they're in REM sleep, I'll start presenting the cues to give them a lucid dream. Interesting. So how long, you mentioned that people are coming in for, you know, two hours or so for these experiments. How long does it take generally for people to enter REM sleep after they fall asleep? And then how long do you stay in that stage? When you go through the sleep stages, it takes about 90 minutes. And REM sleep usually happens at the end most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so um, they'll fall asleep. They'll usually be in light sleep. And then they'll probably have deep sleep. And then they'll probably go into REM sleep right at the end of their nap. And in a morning nap, they might only have like five minutes of REM sleep or something like that. Just because maybe because it's an unfamiliar environment and because they you know, we're already awake and all this stuff. So, um, so as a researcher, you really have to be on top of it and paying attention to catch that. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're looking at it the whole time and you can kind of tell when they're about to go into REM sleep. So then you can start paying 
more attention. But yeah, now now for our studies, we're mostly doing overnights because then we can have like multiple 90 minute periods where they go back into REM sleep. They might be in it for longer. That must be interesting hours for you then to be in the lab if you're monitoring people overnight. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, that, that is the definite advantage of the morning naps is that you don't have to stay awake for so long, but um, it is nice to get a lot more REM sleep at 4 a.m. Nice. So once people are here, they're in the lab bedroom, whatever you would like to call it. Do you have problems with people being, you know, too uncomfortable to fall asleep? You said that people might have shorter REM sleep cycles because they're, you know, unfamiliar environment or have a bunch of stuff attached to their head and face. Yeah, that actually was kind of a problem, especially at the beginning. So like our, our lab normally does studies where we're playing sounds to people in deep sleep. And people get deep sleep in the lab. It's like not that much of an issue, but I, there haven't been really studies on REM sleep with our particular setup until I came along that I know of. A lot of people wouldn't fall asleep or have REM sleep. And so I've been kind of tweaking the protocol to try to make it more comfortable. So for instance, <laughs> the beginning, it, the data collected in this study, we use an electrode cap and the cap has kind of thick electrodes. It can be not so comfy to sleep in. So we replaced it with these kind of flatter electrodes that we put on the head individually that are used more often in sleep studies. And I think that people have been sleeping better with them on. They feel it more comfy. So that's good. Okay. So at this point, you've hooked up your participant and put them through the lucid dreaming training, but you're not just trying to get them to have a lucid dream. You're trying to get them to communicate with you after you play your stimulus sound. What does that line of communication look like oh another thing we do before sleep is we just test the level like what's the very quietest level they could possibly hear mm -hmm. what's the level that they prefer and then i usually work within that range people usually will wake up with a sound that's quieter than the one that they said they would prefer and so then if the training lucid dreaming induction works then we'll see them give a left right left right eye movement and i'll see that on the monitor and that's always super exciting then we start asking math questions and we do the same kind of sound procedure where we start out really quietly. And if they don't answer, we get a tiny little bit louder. Um, and ideally they'll answer some math questions. And then as soon as they answer, it's kind of like, okay, what should we do? Should we try to have them answer another one or should we wake them up so that they don't forget? And so usually I'll ask a few math questions and then if they had answered one and then they don't answer two in a row, I'll wake them up to try to get their report of what happened. Or if they don't answer them at the beginning, then I'll keep asking them louder and louder. So when they were answering these problems, when you were telling them to, you know, look left for one or, you know, do it twice for two, you're not just like standing over them watching them do this. Was that also measured with those electrodes, you know, attached to their head? Right. Yeah. So we put electrodes next to their eyes. And when you mm -hmm. move your eye, it generates like a electrical potential. And so that's how we measured it. Yes, that would be uh, probably creepy. Or, you know, if you had like a camera <laughs> overhead being like... Some people do video it, but we, didn't, we don't have oh. that in our ethics right now. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that seems like it might make it harder to fall asleep. You already know people are watching you, but like yeah. you're being <laughs> recorded and visually at least. Why math problems over... I don't know, just like a yes, no question, or yeah. I'm not sure yeah, what yeah, other yeah. options there would be. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question because 
<laughs> when I first started, my advisor and lab kind of were already working on the project. And so they were like, we're doing math problems. And I had read this study about lucid dreamers asking other dreamers math problems and the dreamers were really bad at it. And so I was like, you can't do math in a dream. But these math problems are different. They're like really, really easy. All the answers are really easy. And so I think that the reason why is because you can you can have a variety of answer responses without having dreamers like memorize a a long scheme of you know this means yes and this means no and this means red sure. or whatever like yeah. you can just say left right once for each number in your response and so it's not necessarily that we're like super inherently interested in how well people can do math in a dream although it's kind of interesting but it's mostly that um, that there's a variety of answer responses and that we like you know, in the future, we want to ask questions that we don't know the answers to, right? That's the kind of information we want to get from sure. a dream. But now we just wanted to say, okay, this is actually a thing. And so we wanted to ask questions that we knew the answers to. So now they've done some math problems. What happens then? Do you just wake them up or do they have to do anything else? Once I'm waking them up, then I have like a, a walkie talkie and I'm saying like, okay, wake up, tell me your dream. And they either fill it out on the computer or we record it right there so that it they can stay, stay in a dreamy state. So when your participants were woken up from their dreams and they were going to write them down, what was the purpose of that? Just to see that they could actually remember their dreams or what remember what you were communicating with them? Right. So in our study, you know, the first kind of line of evidence that we were communicating with people in dreams is the electrophysiological recording. It's that we asked eight minus six, and you see a clear two. But then the dream reports were another important piece of evidence that they were actually doing this, you know, intentionally on purpose. How did it relate to their dream, right? Did a dream character come up and ask them or did it come from above? So the German team presented flashing lights in Morse code. And in the dream, the lights in the room started flickering and then they stopped. So then he found a fish tank that was the lights in the fish tank were flickering and then it broke. So then he went outside and the clouds were flickering. And I think it's kind of interesting how like, you know, you can have this one stimulus while you're awake presented objectively, and then in the dream, it can be perceived as all these different things. So I think that that part is really interesting and exciting that you can compare those two. Because in our study, when people answered questions, they almost always, you know, remembered that they were doing math in their dream, but they often didn't remember the details quite accurately. Oh, wow. Okay, that is super cool. And it makes a lot of sense to when I think back to my days of having an alarm clock ringing in the morning and remembering that being in my dream before I woke up. So I can totally see how that would happen. So do you think that there will be a point in the future where people can communicate more during their dreams to, you know, someone who's awake than what we see right now. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that we're working on. How can you, like, optimize this procedure to have communication happen more? So, like, one thing that we're doing is sometimes eye movements can be kind of disruptive for people to do in their dreams. Mm -hmm. So in this study, the French team used actually facial muscle contractions. Like, they, they furrowed their brow and they made, like, kind of a smile. It appeared as a twitch in the dream because you can twitch. And so we're also trying sniffing signals. So like your breathing is parallel in a dream versus when you're awake in general. So we're having people just, if they know they're dreaming, give three quick sniffs. And that okay. uh, is a little bit faster and a little bit less disruptive possibly to your dream. You know, I think that there's a lot of different directions you could go in terms of like, how can you get people to hear questions more often? How can you get people to wake up less? So yeah, ideally we're hoping that 
people can communicate more. Huh. Yeah, it sounds like there is an enormous array of questions to still be asked and answered in this research, which is, you know, good as a as a yeah. researcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lucid dreams have are so elusive to study that there's yeah, there's a lot there's a lot more research that can be done. As we start to wrap things up, are there any, you know, last takeaway points that you want to say or mention? Well, <laughs> uh, one thing that I think is fun is that if you have a bed partner, you could try this on them. If you ever observe them in REM sleep, <laughs> you could like whisper to them, like, you know, sniff if you can hear me or something like that. And you may be able to communicate with somebody in real time in your house. <laughs> Yes, that is a uh, yeah, fun at-home science experiment. If you can do that, maybe I'll try it out. I'll let you know how it goes. Um, so if people are interested in learning more about this research, I can post a link to the paper that we were talking about. Are there any other resources that the listeners can look at or follow along with to keep learning about this? Yeah, well, another one is that you can try our app that we're developing, um, which only works Ooh, on Androids, yeah. but I can also send you the link for that. It's like our lab webpage has the directions for it. Sure. Yeah, that could, that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining me and chatting with me yes, today. No it was really great to hear about your research and uh, learn a little bit more about the things our brains can do. Yeah.